Welcome to the next episode in China Between Meetings with Eric Leo, co-founder, CTO of Digitwin. Thank you, Eric, for finding time for me. Sure, anytime. Yeah, really excited to、uh, be here because thanks to you, you get I get a free DD ride. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. No.、Um, so the first question is, where did you grow up,、mm-hmm. and where does your passion for technology come from? Yeah. So、um, I grew up.、Uh, so I was actually born in Nanjing.、Uh, most people don't know that because of my、uh, American accent.、Um, and then I moved to the states when I was around、uh, four、uh, to five.、Uh, grew up in Maryland,、um, which is on the east coast of, of the U.S.、Uh, and then went to the University of Maryland College Park,、uh, majored in computer science because、uh, you know I love technology and, and computers. Uh, and then moved to the West Coast,、uh, California, and then、uh, started doing the whole LA, San Diego, and then finally ending up in、uh, Silicon Valley. Did you play games when you were a kid? Oh yeah, yeah, I love games. I mean, that was one of the things because I was a single child.、Um, I really got into computers, right? You know, my dad was,、um, you know, he also worked in computers back then. So you know, I would have this large、uh, personal computer. I think it was IBM or something. And I was playing these, you know, games, right? Like pool, you know, two D pool, of course. Back then,、um, I was playing all sorts of these. I mean, these days,、uh, crappy games, but I loved it. I got so into it. I was so passionate about gaming. And then I started writing my own games in、uh, Q Basic,、uh, and that's how I got into, you know, even more into computers. Wow, that's pretty cool. What was your first job? Ooh, my first job out of college.、Um, so. After graduating College Park, I moved to the West Coast because my parents were already there、um, because of、uh, business, and、uh, I got a job at a company called Financial Freedom,、um, which is actually a reverse mortgage company, which super boring.、Um, but it's interesting that I learned there because I was、uh, programming.、Um, immediately after about three to six months, I, I, I don't recall exactly, I. Stop programming. In in other words, I realized that my not only passion but my strengths was in management,、uh, and then started getting promoted fairly quickly, and then went into project management,、uh, and then just started from there. Are, are you programming now? No, no. So since you stop, yeah, you stop. I mean, other than you know, like you know, hobby programming, right? At home, I would write some like AI, and you know, you know, like just just for fun. Um, I would do some, you know, hacking or whatever, <laughs> right? That's just because it's my own hobbies. But these days, I don't actually、uh, program anymore. You know, that's sort of a different role、uh, because、uh, there's there's different、uh, roles for CTOs, right? Some are more about sort of the technologist futurist、mm-hmm. type of thing,、uh, trying to identify the key technologies and software for an organization.、Um, others are, you know, dig down into the code, right, and sort of lead through that. Um, but luckily, I have、um, you know a great team、uh, that actually does the programming. I just make sure that I lead them towards、mm-hmm. the right direction. I know that you work at、uh, Nvidia, so、mm-hmm. can you tell me more a little bit about that time? Yeah, so、um, it's interesting because、uh, after you know having gigs at、uh, mortgage companies and、uh, real estate companies, data companies, I realized that you know what this is this is not what I really wanted to do. And then、um, I love gaming, of course, like like you mentioned.、Uh, Growing up, I was playing games, and、uh, I got a job at a game company. And at that time, was actually、um, have you heard of Diablo? Yep. Yeah. So, Diablo is from Blizzard North,、uh, originally from、um, a, a team that I basically that left Blizzard North. That is the、uh, 
creator of Diablo um, and then created this uh, studio called Flagship Studios. So I joined up with them, um, got to know the whole team, and then we created a game called Hellgate London. We launched it worldwide um, and then I went to South Korea and, and uh, launched that as well. And we all know South Korea uh, esports was basically the, the, the foundation of esports uh, at that time. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that's what uh, got me back into sort of the video game space and then realized that, hey, video games is so interesting, so immersive, you know, reason why I got so into it and, and, and you know, hundreds of millions of kids and adults worldwide are still playing, you know, I still play uh, games, mobile games these days when I have time, but, uh, you know, it's, it's such an interesting uh, medium. Uh, what other companies did you work before you moved to China? So after, um, so after our Helgi London game, uh, we, we, it, was, it was revolutionary at that time because it was like uh, Diablo but in 3D uh, and everything was randomized. Um, unfortunately, that didn't translate too well to 3D because 2.5D was actually a little bit easier to deal with. Um, but anyway, long story short, after uh, that was not as successful as we thought, um, I went to, I, I was the head of the publishing department for a South Korean game company. Um, at that time, another game called Audition, which had 300 million uh, um, worldwide users, which is, which is astronomical, which is crazy, right? It's, it's similar to DDR, if you ever play that, no. um, but it's more like a keyboard type of dance game for kids. Um, and then after that, I went to NVIDIA. Um, so everybody knows NVIDIA these days. Um, they're surprisingly worth more than Intel. Actually, I'm not surprised um, because I knew that they were going to do well uh, for the future of sort of parallel processing versus a CPU, right? GPU is just so much more advanced uh, for math and 3D objects. So um, I started doing a lot over there, um, sort of the product and um, content uh, management for GeForce um, and basically worked with a lot of video game companies uh, worldwide. Um, and then after that, uh, I basically did I, hi hiatus. Mm. I traveled to well, Europe at least, um, 10 countries in two months. Needed to sort of reconnect with myself, uh, but at the same time, I, um, I was gonna join a small company um, for 3D uh, engine development, mm. right? Because uh, at that time, their technology was better than the large guys like we all know these days, like Unreal and Unity. It was actually better technology, so I helped them uh, expand worldwide. And how, how is the company doing now? Uh, same, same. Um, after that, so what I did is that I actually worked with the founders and I actually brought that technology to China. Mm. Uh, and so back in 2015, that's when I, you know, came back to, I guess, came back to China yeah. and um, saw a huge opportunity for this type of 3D real-time technology, right? And I started applying it to sort of the simulation space, which is, for example, flight simulators, right? So just like, you know, when I saw that the, any, any type of, you know, business like Boeing or, or, or any, you know, government is using these flight simulators to train our uh, pilots, it was the worst graphics I've ever seen. You know, it was from the 80s days, right? Mm -hmm. So how can a human being be immersed in a flight simulator and then apply it to the real world uh, that's just dangerous, I think, right? So this is where the video game sort of visuals comes in, you know, and you can actually, if it's a video game so immersive, why can't you apply it to the real world? But what was the exact reason why did you move to China? What, what brought you here? Yeah, so what brought me here was because um, I was already traveling back and forth 
from uh, the US and, and China because I saw a lot of these opportunities. Actually, the opportunities were bigger here in China, and that's the key thing. Um, utilizing new technologies, it's hard to, uh, not hard, but it's sort of, you know, all of these other markets, whether it's Europe or North America, are already, already very um, stable. You know, it's hard to sort of penetrate and innovate as quickly, right? I, I think that's pretty, pretty normal for any sort of, uh, you know, market. Um, just like with smart cities, you know, that's something where uh, in China, right, in 2017, over 50% of smart cities um, were being developed in China. And basically only China and Saudi Arabia are the only two countries in the world that are starting cities from nothing, from basically dirt, right? And they pre-plan that, right? Every other you know, country was w very well developed. They're not gonna say, I have this plot of land, let's do a new city yeah. and have everybody, right? And it's really interesting because in China, the migration of uh, immigrants, right, to cities is actually a huge phenomenon. Because if you think about it, um, as these sort of um, third, fourth, fifth, sixth tier cities and people are sort of migrate, it becomes sort of a mass exodus because everybody's looking for a better uh, career, right, more money. And as they sort of transition from, you know, inside of China, right, to sort of the west, uh, the, uh, the east coast and other cities, they create these hubs where it becomes sort of a living, breathing city, like a temporary city. So anyway, long story short, um, there's huge opportunities here in China and applying my technologies was, uh, was, a, uh, was a great way to, to go. Um, digit win. Mm -hmm. Is it another buzzword? Can you break it down and explain f to the wider audience what Digital Twin is? Yeah, um, Digital Twins, actually, um, I, I would say, I mean, it's just like any industry, right? The Garner sort of curve of new innovations. Like VR many years ago, um, when I first got here in 2015, was a buzzword, right? But now it's sort of not dying down, but it's, it has a resurgence. Right, a resurgence um, and digital twins is similar because it's so new. Um, even though, I mean, the, the, the term is newer for the masses, but it's been around since, you know, early 2000 days, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and basically the definition of a digital twin um, is basically a digital representation of a physical world, object, thing, building, could be anything, right? Um, and that sort of digital twin, um, it can be even human, right? Mm. We can even have a digital twin of a human. I mean, you know, you're wearing an Apple Watch, right? You're getting sensor back information, your heartbeat, you know, eventually we're going to have more advanced sensors that can tell us all sorts of additional data. So um, a digital human is also a digital twin, right, of a physical object in the world. What is the uh, business value of digital twin? Um, I think it's it's huge. It's basically something that uh, it's untapped, right? Sort of like a just like data. How I like to say that data is new oil, right? For artificial intelligence, um, digital twins is an untapped resource as well. Um, whether it's applied to a smart building with all the sensors, the real-time sensors, or if it's applied to a smart human, right? Or digital human. Um, all sorts of these things, it's truly untapped. So we're sort of at the sort of the, the precipice, right? The early days of this applied technology outside of the science. And uh, now we're starting to see a lot of companies sort of um, say, oh, I do digital twins. <laughs> but the thing is, um, 
it's a lot of these other companies start from visualization, right? I mean, mm -hmm. sure, I started as sort of visualization and video, but the thing is, I started very early on on creating a digital base platform, right, to actually connect all this data, right, to actually work on all sorts of these, you know, real-time sensors and, and camera feeds and everything. So if you can't support 300,000 video feeds of a city simultaneously, then get out of here. <laughs> what are the industries that are using now currently digital twins? So digital twins, um, there's, I would say, two major industries, and those are the ones that we focus on um, that are sort of the pioneers, right, and really are open to using this type of new technology. Manufacturing, right, which is huge, right? You can think of basically digital twin back in the early days was applied to assembly equipment, mm -hmm. right? Because you can imagine that, hey, let's say I have this assembly line and then you start, you already have sensors. So once you have the sort of digital version of that, whether it's 2D or 3D, it doesn't matter, but you know exactly that it has a lot of these uh, sensors on it and you know sort of the status, right? The current status as well as the historical status. So you can actually determine, you can predict almost, uh, you know, where it's gonna head towards, right? Is it, does it have a strange vibration where I see that it needs maintenance, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you can sort of see how manufacturing, uh, as well as sort of, we call it industry 4.0, right? Uh, is sort of the, the huge push for digital twin technologies. And um, the other one is smart cities because, because of networks, 5G, right? Because everything's connected these days, IOT, right? I mean, we're in your car right now and there's tons of sensors in the very near, near future, right? This is no longer sci-fi, right? We all know that, you know, Tesla and autonomous driving and vehicles are the next big thing, right? And that's just one, I would say, system of a smart city mobility, right? I mean, I was just, you know, over the past weekend, I don't know if you know this, but um, Tesla came out with FSD, which is uh, full self-driving beta version nine of their software. And for the first time ever, you can just let go and let the car drive you and it makes decisions for you. It's absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. It's not just on the highway anymore. It'll take you from your house to anywhere you wanna go, full self-driving, right? And there's a beta version. And all of the people that have been testing it, I've, I've just been, I've been floored because it's literally, it shows you what can be achieved now. And it's only using cameras too. It's not using radar or LIDAR, it doesn't need it, right? And that's an incredible thing, right? So anyway, um, Yes. And it will be available in China? China, I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm sure that because China, the roads and, you know, mm. it's not as uh, uh, I would say that, you know, it's very it's more randomized. Right. Mm -hmm. Who knows if like 50 people just start you know walking on the street. But based off of the technology, it's definitely I'm seeing that they are doing a lot of testing in China. You know, um, that's the thing. Right. It's a Trojan horse approach from Tesla's point of view because they're so smart. They sell you a car for cheap a three series, mm. but it's already got all the sensors and cameras around it. And it's been taking this information and trying to improve its algorithms um, until one day they just flip a switch like over the weekend and they release another version of beta version nine. And oh my God, your car can drive itself. That's like, incredible. It's, it's incredible, right? And this is what I love about Tesla and this type of sort of, you know, different non-traditional 
forward-thinking companies, right? Just like Apple, right? We get iOS updates, you know, for iPhone, right? And all of a sudden, you have new, brand new features, right? For example, I already updated iOS 15, uh, beta version, of course, um, because I'm a, you know, I, I love newer things, and and I can basically take a photo of any of this Chinese any text, and mm -hmm. I can highlight it and copy it or mm -hmm. translate it immediately. I no longer have to go into another app and everything's just built in so it saves me time. So this Super is what I'm saying, exciting. right? Everything, software is so exciting these days, right? Is that you can continuously update and give new features to your existing hardware. What's China 2060 carbon mean for uh, digital twin um, market? Yeah, carbon neutrality, huge topic, huge. Um, you know, very, very good question. Uh, so that's actually huge, not just China. So. So there's over, I think, over 130 countries that signed into this, uh, this uh, carbon neutral by an X date. Um, I think the majority, vast majority, will, will be carbon neutral or carbon zero by 2050. However, China did 2060, which makes complete sense since China is still the manufacturing capital of the world, right? Um, there's still a lot that needs to be done, but still, it's incredible that China signed 2060. Which, which is actually like... Already ambitious. Yeah, super <laughs> ambitious, right? Um, so I think that um, basically what that means is that every single business, every single building, every single sort of, sort of carbon emitting anything needs to be carbon neutral by that date. And that's incredible. That means every business needs to start thinking about it now. How do they apply newer technologies? How to be more sort of, you know, like uh, understand how to you know, reduce their carbon footprint all the way to neutral by then. And that also means digital twins is the, the first step to go, right? Because let's say you're a traditional, let's say, I don't know, um, uh, industry, right? Let's say it's an assembly line, but they don't have anything sensors really. They don't, it's a very traditional assembly line. They don't have sensors. They don't know what's going on. They don't know how much carbon emission they're putting out then how can you fix something you don't know about so having a digital twin is a first step it's sort of a map right an understanding of the current status and then you start sort of optimizing it right and you start optimizing from whether it's a software standpoint for example we can use machine learning algorithms to optimize digital twins these days right so if let's say there's connections between data where this sensor and that sensor is causing you know more carbon then maybe the the ai can optimize it mm. and then it'll it'll actually almost automatically reduce carbon footprint but then you apply it in mass right then you just sort of spread it out and you scale it and then this is where all the digitalization all of the you know smart technologies finally come into play that affects directly the carbon neutral mandate of the world Tell me more about your company, Digitwin Technologies. Sure. How big is it uh, mm -hmm. for your clients? Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, Digitwin. So um, we are up to actually slightly below 100 staff now. You Congratulations. Know, I, thanks. Uh, as of, because we keep hiring, I just checked this morning, it was like 90, 98 or something. So it's, it's funny because I, I want to be able to say, hey, we're, we're over 100, right? Because <laughs> that's easier to roll off the tongue, but uh, we're, we're slightly under 100, but next week we should be over 100. Um, so obviously DigiTwin, right? Um, digital Twins. Uh, we do Digital Twins, but at the same time, um, that is the base layer of what we do. 
right? Just like I'm saying, every building needs a sort of a base layer, a, a 3D base map, which is a digital twin, right? Um, as well as all the sensors connected. Um, but what we're actually doing is actually spatial computing. Um, and what that means is basically understanding the link, right? As well as the spatial uh, understanding of where these sensors are located, right? So for example, in this car, you know, AC is, is not 2D, right? Not, no sensor in the physical world is two-dimensional. Even when we look at pollution levels, you know, on our apps, right? It's all 2D, but if you go upstairs, mm. it's completely different. So this is where spatial computing and 3D technologies is going to revolutionize the future of many, many industries, if not all industries. So spatial computing um, is the first step, right? But then you think about sort of in the future, where that leads, yeah. right? So what, let's say you have a digital twin of this building, of let's say this, this area. I'm not sure what uh, district, let's just say it's Yangpu district because that's where my office is. And let's say we already have a digital twin of that, right? If you're able to see the data that is flowing between all of these sensors or the specific information that us as human beings need to react to, that's most important, that is what sort of digital twins uh, is setting everything up for, right? Because if you don't have a digital twin of, let's say, of, of, this, of the city, right? with a map, but the map is static. You just look at it and you, right now you're navigating, but it's static, right? In terms of like, how do I know, let's say where, you know, all of the other sensors and autonomous cars are mm. and how would that affect my route, right? Sure, right now you're only looking at sort of the mobility layer, but there's so many, so many other digital twin layers that all need to work together to form a smarter network. What are the dif differences between um, West and China when it comes to digital twin? What are the mm. challenges? Well, I think um, similar to what I uh, discussed earlier, it, everything here, right, that I, this is one of the reasons why I, I moved here, moved back, is, um, you know, government and businesses are so open mm -hmm. to uh, new technologies to see how to improve things, how to be more efficient longer term. Um, and, uh, you know, I just don't see that happening in, in the West, right? Um, because everything's more established. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there's not a lot of risk, right? They, they don't want to, they don't want to be, ha have new risks applied to their current uh, status, right? Because then GDP will drop, who knows, right? So um, one of the key things about, um, other than me moving here and applying new technologies and then finding really a good, you know, stride and cadence, to apply to different industries. It's, it's really exciting because as soon as we deploy these technologies to our customers, their eyes get big and they're like, oh my God, can we do this and this and this and this? And it's like, yes, right? And then we start um, looping in other mm. um, you know, partners, uh, whether it's hardware, whether it's AR, VR, et cetera, because our platform actually supports all of this type of data and as well as experiences and, and different hardware platforms. Exciting times. Mm -hmm. And the final one, can you take us uh, to the future, let's say 2050, mm -hmm. how it would be um, looking like? Sure. Well, first, um, hopefully by then pollution will be much better since the whole carbon neutral <laughs> movement, which is great, I think, right, for uh, human beings and health. Um, second of all, I think by then, so this is the, the thing that I think about constantly, you know, what would a day look like um, 
30 years from now. And basically, uh, I see that well, this is another reason why we do spatial computing is because right now, right, we're looking at sort of 2D devices, our phones, our computers, laptops, they're all 2D, right? Um, the next generation of mobile devices, the next revolution in, in computing is actually spatial computing. And what does that mean? You're wearing glasses, right? And let's say next year or very, very soon, Apple comes out with their AR glasses and let's say they release it for the masses, right? They might have a version that's more expensive, maybe you know, a thousand or two thousand US dollars for content creators, but then they're gonna have maybe a cheaper, cheaper Apple standards, 500 US um, for, 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 for regular folks that already have an iPhone. Um, and all of a sudden, you will be able to see a whole new world. As you're driving, you no longer need to look down at your navigation because everything's overlaid, right? At the same time, a digital twin, let's say you look over here, right? Those are McDonald's. All of a sudden, they're, they're saying, oh, here's a Big Mac for, you know, whatever, right? And then basically you see a whole new world, right? And it'll open up so many new possibilities. So what I foresee is that what we're doing, we're laying the groundwork and foundation to support these experiences, right? We talk about metaverse, which is actually, some say it's the next version of the internet and everything needs to be spatial as well. So what our technology and our platform is called Twinverse, which enables businesses and governments to have their next generation metaverse. And basically, you can imagine where I can wake up in the morning, right, put on in 30 years, I think it would be probably AR contact lenses, to be honest, because there are companies working on now in MIT, where you put it on, and all of a sudden, you see your own Twinverse, right? You want to see the weather, right? And you see this shining sun coming through, right? It's all 3D. And you see a UI where all of the top story headlines that you want to see, right? Your, your, your significant other sees a whole different Twinverse, right? That she wants to create because it's all user-generated. And you can share these experiences with each other, right? Let's say I come over to your place, you can share, like, the sports or whatever that you want me to see. And as soon as you walk outside, it's, let's say it's Huangpu district, the government gave you sort of, sort of a, uh, you know, information. It, they know that you're a Westerner, so it's English or, or French or something. And they know it's a citizen of China and it's a completely different Twinverse, right? But it's about information. It's already out there. It's just how it's portrayed and experienced. And I see the future where basically we experience the whole new world, the, the physical world in a whole new light and not just one different layer, unlimited amounts of layers, right? So this is where I see the future and I'm super, super excited about it. I'm super excited too. I'm looking forward to see that. And I think it's coming faster than yes. 2050. Yes. Thank you, Eric. Thank you very much. Uh, I wish best of luck to your company. Thank you. Thank you for giving this uh, introduction to the digital twin mm -hmm. market. It's super interesting, super exciting. That was the episode with Eric Leo, co-founder and CTO of DigitWin um, Technologies. In China, between meetings, please subscribe, mm -hmm. like, and follow, and see you next time.